0: Well, good morning, church. Hope y'all are all rested, had a good weekend. I know it's drawing to an end, but you're in a good place to end it this morning. So uh, what I want you to do, if you have your Bible, and I hope you do, I want to ask you to open with me to Matthew uh, chapter 23. And uh, as you do that, I'm going to uh, give you just a second to get there, and I'm going to open us up here. So today is the last day of our, our Go series, and we've been in our Go series now for the last three weeks, and it's been focused around one thing, and that one thing that we've been focusing on for the last three weeks is the command that God gave us to go and make disciples, right? So before Jesus Christ uh, left this earth, after he had died and uh, rose again three days later, he, he came on a mountain, and the last thing he says to his followers is, go and make disciples, Right? And so the point is, if that's the last thing Jesus told us when he could have told us any number of things, it must be a pretty important command, right? So that's where we've been focusing our attention the last three weeks is on that command and what kind of attitude we should have as we go and make disciples. So Christianity has never been a spectator sport, right? It's not a sport that you can sit in the bleachers and watch and cheer other people on, right? If you're a Christian, if you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins and saved you and that he rose three again, three, again three days later to pay the price, like, you're in a game. You're not just in a game, you're in a war. So it's not a spectator sport. So the command to go is serious, but today I want to talk a little bit about our attitude, right? So it's not enough to just have good intentions to leave this place every week and go and say, I'm going, I'm going to live my life to try to help other people, right? It's, that's, not, so that's not enough. It's not enough to leave here and have good intentions and say, I'm going to be a good person. I'm going to try to help out. I'm going to go into my community. It's not enough to go with a decent attitude or a good heart. Those things don't really help us any, right? So today I want to talk to you about the need to go with sincerity. All right? That's a key word. I want you to hold that word in your mind. We're going to get back to it at the very end of today's service. So what I'm here telling you up front, all right, just hear what I'm saying. It's not enough to go into our community to make disciples with just a decent attitude and good intentions. We've got to have more than that. We've got to be sincere followers of Christ seeking to make disciples, right? So that's where we're going. We must be 100% dedicated to the mission of God if we are to make disciples. I like the way Francis Chan says this. Francis Chan is a great Bible teacher who lives in California. He says it this way. If you are not ready to lay down your life for Christ's sake, then you are not ready to make a disciple. It's that simple, all right? So if you're not all the way in this, If you're not 100% sold out, hey, you're not ready yet. You're not ready to make a disciple until you're all in. This isn't a spectator sport. So in other words, if you're not willing to go with sincerity, then you're not ready to make disciples. So we must, uh, why is this important? Why is it even important that as we're talking about the need to go with sincerity, why is this important, all right? It's important because we must go with sincerity because it's all too easy to live this Christian life thinking that we are pleasing to God. Hey, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. I'm coming to church. I'm helping set up. I'm helping tear down. I'm giving my offering, right? It's all too easy to live this Christian life and think that we are pleasing to God while we could actually be missing the point, right? Because in our culture, this is acceptable. It's acceptable to come to church on Sunday. It's acceptable to go to connect groups during the week. You're supposed to do those things. And what happens is we get programmed a certain way to think, I'm doing what God wants me to do, but I'm, instead of being sincere in that, you're actually just going through some motions and you're missing the point. I like the way David Platt says this he says it is impossible or it is possible for you and me to genuinely believe listen to this for genuine to us for to genuinely believe that we are doing God's work, obeying God's word and accomplishing God's will yet to be deceived and experience eternal damnation those are strong words guys. Why The need for sincerity is real because it's a very real possibility that you could be here this morning, that you could have been coming to church your whole life, that you could think you're doing what God wants you to do, that you're good enough, or you don't need to change anything, all the while you could be missing the point and actually headed for an eternal damnation instead of an eternity with Christ. The need for sincerity is real. And just in case you think I'm exaggerating this danger, like you might be here this morning, and you're like, well, Dallas, you're just pushing it too far. Like as long as I'm doing what God wants me to do, as long as I'm coming to church, as long as I'm being that good person, I'm not going to go to hell, right? I had a conversation with a guy just the other day, that's what he told me. When I die, I've been good enough, God's going to let me in, that's what he told me, right? And so a lot of, a lot of you out right there right now are probably thinking something like this, you're exaggerating that danger. Like, as long as I'm being a good person, God's going to let me in when I, find, when I die, right? So in case you think I'm exaggerating and this is not a real danger, I want to give you a biblical example. The Pharisees. The Pharisees. Does anybody know who the Pharisees were? Raise your hand if, you, if you've ever heard of that before. Heard of the Pharisees before, right? We all know who the Pharisees are, right? And Matthew 23, the text I'm about to read, we see Jesus give the harshest words of his ministry, right? When we think of Jesus, we think mellow guy, right? He... He's, he's chill, he don't really get mad. And this text, he calls people fools, he calls people hypocrites, and he calls people uh, liars destined for hell, right? Rework your definition of Jesus because he's coming at these guys pretty hard, all right? But we all, we all like to beat up on the Pharisees. We think, oh, th- this is the people Jesus teed up on. I wanna, what I want to show you this morning is that the Pharisees were good people. The Pharisees were people just like me and just like you right? They were church people even. They read the Bible. Matter of fact, they read the Bible way more than me or you did, promise you. They memorized the Old Testament. These guys had it down. These guys were not bad people. If anybody deserved to go to heaven when they die based on the way they lived the life, lived their life, it was the Pharisees. They were good enough by our standards, right? So uh, they did, and listen to me, I want you to make sure you're tracking here. They did all the things that church people do, and they didn't do all the things that church people don't do. Is everybody tracking with that? Like We know there's a code, right? Church, church folk don't do that. Church folks do this, right? There's a code. These guys followed the code. They did everything right. And what I want us to see before we leave here today is that what Jesus speaks to the Pharisees this morning is just as applicable to me and to you sitting right here today. Because all the while, many of us, we think we're pleasing to God. We think, I'm going to church. I'm doing the right things. I'm raising uh, my family the way I should. I'm treating my wife the way I should. And we think we're pleasing to God, but yet we could be deceiving ourselves. So this is what I want to do. I want to start us off today with a question. Here's the question. I want you to ask yourself this, and I want you to be brutally honest. Like, just hold it. I'm not going to give you an answer. I want you to take this question I'm about to give to you, and I want you to hold it for the rest of the service. And by the end of the sermon, I want you to be able to answer that question for yourself, right? So here's the question. Are you a truly born-again follower of Christ, living out your faith with sincerity, or are you a fake? That's the question. No answer to it. Only you can answer it. But I I want you to to wrestle with that this morning. And guys, I'm going to be perfectly honest with you. This week, as I prepared this message, every point that I had, like I'm about to preach three or four points, right? Every single one of them, God God pointed out in my life, you do this, you don't do this. You need to work on this. So as I'm coming to you today, this message is going to be hard. It's the hardest message Jesus ever gave to anybody, right? So this message is going to be hard. But what I want you to understand is that I'm not preaching to you guys. I'm preaching to Dallas this morning, right? Because this is—it doesn't matter if you you can be here this morning and been a Christian your whole life, right? I'm gonna mess with Mr. Nick back there. You could be as old as Mr. Nick. Mr. Nick been saved his whole life, right? So you can be as Christian for as long as Mr. Nick's been a Christian this morning. Or you could be a brand new Christian, and I guarantee you this message is going to apply to you today. Because as I was preparing for it, God ramshacked my heart, right? So I want us to, I want us to be able to take that question. I want us to be able to hold it out in front of us today, and I want us to wrestle with it, right? So let's, let's do this. As we dive into Scripture, I want you to know exactly where I'm going. So I'm going to give you my points, and then I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll get started. So here's where I'm going. The first thing I want you to see is that as we're going, if you're a note taker, this is, this is for you, right? This is my outline. The first thing I want you to see is that as we go with sincerity, we must practice what we preach. That's the first point. We have to practice what we preach. Number two, second point is we have to live for God's approval. All right? Then the third thing is this. Don't exalt ourselves over others. And like some of these things sound kind of weird to you, but I promise I'll explain explain them to you as we get going. Don't exalt ourselves over others. And number four is this. We need to live as humble servants. So those are the four things I want us to look at today. Four things that God called out in my own heart. And uh, let's, if you've got your Bible, let's look at Matthew 23. We'll start in verse 1 and go through verse 12, and then we'll uh, go to another passage really quick. So if you've got your Bibles, this is what the Word of God says. Matthew 23, verse 1, it says, Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, so do and observe whatever they tell you but not the works they do, for they preach but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. All right, time out. Phylacteries, who know, $200. Who knows what a phylactery is? You, no, I'm not paying you $200. Just kidding a phylactery was this thing that these guys, the Jews back in the day would wear around their head, right? So God told them to keep the word of God in front of them. They took it from a symbolic level to a literal level and they tied this thing, it was a little box about that big on their head and they would keep it on their head and they would be like, I'm, I'm more religious than you pull out the word of God, right, and put it back. So that's what a phylactery was. Uh, I kid you not, all right? And then it says their fringes, they had fringes, literally tassels that hung off their clothes and it was supposed to be a symbol of their dedication to God because when you saw those tassels, you would say, oh, that's a religious person. He prays a lot, right? So these are symbols of religious authority. So he says, they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. So what, what's he saying? They make, they make big boxes. They don't have a normal size box. They want everybody to know they're religious. They make it big, right? And they have long tassels. And they love the place of honor, verse six. They love the place of honor at feast and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi for you have one teacher and you are all brothers and call no man your father on earth for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself shall be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Let's skip over to verse 25, Matthew 23, starting in verse 25. It says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee. This is Jesus talking now. You blind Pharisee. First, clean the inside of the cup and plate, that the outside may also be clean. Verse 27, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. So with the scripture being read, you guys got my outline. I want to pray this morning and we'll dive into the message. God Lord, my heart this morning just goes out to deliver your word, God, even as I... As I go through this message, God, I lay what I am down, and God, I pray that you would just pick up whatever part of me you need to use and use it, Lord, and and just build your kingdom here at Connection Millen today. And we just we trust you to do that, God. Today, my heart goes out, Father, for for three groups of people who I've just been thinking about, dear God. I just pray for the person in this room today, dear God, who I know's here, who dear Lord, they don't understand your grace, they don't understand your gospel enough to they think, dear God, that they can be saved and live however they want to, God. I I pray for that person today, dear God. I pray that your gospel would call them out of this their situation and change their lives, God. Your gospel is that good; it changes us, God. And I pray today for for the person who thinks they can never be good enough, God. I pray that by the time this sermon's over with today, dear God, that they would see and understand that they don't have to be good enough, dear God. They could never be good enough. That your gospel pays the price for our sins, God. I pray that they would understand that good news, dear God. And I just pray, Lord, that uh, for the person who thinks that they are good enough, God, they're in, the, in a crowd this size in South Georgia, dear God, I know that there's a person in here who thinks, dear Lord, that they're, they're good because they've been going to church, God, and they've been playing this religious game with you their whole life, Jesus, but I pray today that you would break down walls and show them that the gospel changes everything, God. I pray that you would show them that this morning. Lord, I just pray that as we do this, God, I know your word says that you are abounding in steadfast love to anybody who calls on you, God, and I pray that today those who don't know you would call on you. God, your your grace is so good, so rich. Lord, I pray that you would come in this place and work among us today, Lord. We trust you, God. We love you, God. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. All right, guys, so let's dive into this thing. First thing I want you to see today from this text is, number one, when we go with sincerity, we have to be a people who practice what we preach right? So if you're a sincere Christian, you're a true born-again, sincere Christian, the one thing that's going to mark you is that you're not going to be a hypocrite. You're going to practice what you preach, right? Let's look at verses 2 through 4. Chapter 23, 2 through 4, it says this, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. Why? For they preach, but do not practice. Let's leave it right there for just a second. So the first thing Jesus goes and he tees these Pharisees up for is that they teach, but they don't practice what they preach, right? They know what to say. They know what to do, but they, don't, uh, they teach it, but they don't follow it up with the way they live their lives. As we go into our community, guys, as we live to make disciples, as we live on mission for Jesus Christ, we have to be a people who practice what we preach, I'm gonna ask you this, and I'm gonna ask, ask you a couple of questions today. See, let this sink in on you. Don't give a quick, comfortable answer. Like let it, let it give you, give yourself some time. Ask yourself this question: Do I practice what I preach? Ask yourself that. Examine your life and think: do I practice what I preach? Here's the thing: here's what I want you to understand. A lot of us project something. And live like something else, right? We project holiness. We project godliness. We project ourselves to the world as this is who I am. I've been going to church my whole life. This is who I am. I'm a born again Christian. I'm saved. I'm godly. I live like I'm supposed to live. We project that to the world. That's what we show everybody else. But then over here, we live completely different. We project holiness and we live hypocritically. Does that make sense to everybody? Are you tracking with that? We project one thing and live another way. So let me assure you, nothing turns the world away from the church of Jesus Christ more than a person who projects one thing and lives another way. The world looks at us and laughs when they see us projecting holiness and living hypocritically. Does anybody know where the word uh, hypocrite actually came from? I was, as I was studying, I came across this this week. I thought it was amazing. It comes from the Greek word. I cannot, I'm going to murder this, right? So I'm not smart enough to pronounce Greek. Here it is, the hypokrinomai. That's a word, all right? And it's a Greek verb, and it literally means to play a part. So they, the Greeks used to use this word to describe what an actor did on stage, They used to use this word to say when an actor gets on stage and starts acting a certain way because he's trying to play a part, that's what a hypocrite is, right? And the the sad thing is that description all too often can be attributed to me and it can be attributed to you because we try to play a certain part, but when we get off the stage, we don't live like it anymore. When we get to church on Sunday morning, when we put on our blue shirts, when we, when we pull in the parking lot, we're on the stage, we better act like it, but come Monday, we're going to live a completely different way. Guys, I want you to see there's two levels of this, right? So there's two levels of hypocrisy. So when I call you a hypocrite, they, that can mean one or two things. So when somebody calls me a hypocrite, they're, they're referring to one or two things. Number one, the first level of hypocrisy exposes us as fakes based on what we do. All right. So the way you live your life shows that you're a hypocrite. Does everybody follow that? That's the first level. It, goes, it looks something like this. It looks like a woman who works in an office and claims to be a strong Christian. She projects love and holiness, and I go to church, and I follow Jesus, and I love Jesus. right? She projects that. But behind everybody else's back, she gossips about her coworkers. And when she's having a bad day, she's really, really nasty to other people. She projects holiness, but she lives hypocritically. Here's what I want you to understand. Your actions expose who you really are, right? Your words don't show me who you really are. Your actions expose who you really are. How about this? It can look like a man who projects holiness and harshly criticizes the person who busted up a marriage. All the while, he looks at pornography on a computer screen every night. The man projects holiness. You better not do that. I can't believe you would bust up a marriage. I can't believe you would cheat on another man's wife. He projects holiness. At night, he lives hypocritically. His actions expose who he really is. Or let's hit a little closer to home here. It looks like a person who comes to Connection Millen every Sunday, and they project holiness when they pull in the parking lot. They may wear a blue shirt. They may smile and they may welcome you and you may think that they are the biggest Christian. You may think, man, they they must read their Bibles for three hours a day, right? They, They project one thing, but then they live something else. They never change. They've never repented of the sin. Their lifestyle is exactly the same. Your actions expose who you really are. But then... Understand this, guys. When you project a certain thing, when you say, I live this way, and you don't really live this way, what you're doing is you're not hurting me, and you're not hurting Jeremy. What you're doing is you're spitting in the face of Jesus right? Jesus came to purchase for himself a church, pure and holy and blameless. On that last day, when they get to heaven, he says, I want you to be pure and holy and blameless. And then we say, oh, I'm going to live like Jesus wants me to. But then behind closed doors, we're somebody else. And you know what we're doing? We're looking at Jesus in the face of the cross and spitting. We mock the very Savior who came to save us when we don't practice what we preach. And nothing is more damning to the souls that live around us than somebody who claims to be a Christian and doesn't live like it. You know, this is the essence of hypocrisy. Look at it. Verse 4, it says, They tie up heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with with their finger. The essence of hypocrisy is expecting other people to live how you don't even live. Right? If you go around expecting other people to live a certain way and you don't live that way, you're a hypocrite. But still, there's another level of hypocrisy. And this is this is going to hit a little closer to home for some of you. There's another level of hypocrisy that exposes us as fakes based on what we don't do. All right? It goes like this. If we as Christians really believe what we say we believe, that Jesus Christ is the King above all kings who left his throne in heaven, came to earth, and died on the cross for my sins and for your sins, if we really believe that, then our lives should be about nothing but that. Everywhere we go, whether we're at work, whether we're at school, whether we're keeping our kids, whether we're taking our kids to the ball field, everything in our lives should revolve around that one thing. And if we really believe that, nothing else in our lives should compare to that mission. We should live hoping other people come to know Christ. Yet, day after day, what do we do? We remain silent. We stay quiet. We see people who need the love of Jesus. We see people who we could help. We see people who need the gospel and we don't open our mouths to tell them. Do you want to know the main reason the world around us looks at us and thinks we're fake and hypocrites is because we have the best news in all the world and we won't open our mouths to tell a soul. They say they really must not believe what they say they believe if they won't even tell me about it. Your lack of action exposes who you really are. So, I, just to say, thank you, I'm not up here preaching to you guys, this happened to me this past week. Uh, I go in this gas station, and there are people everywhere in this gas station. I don't know why there were so many people in it, but they were coming in, getting out, uh, uh, people buying nothing but lottery tickets and uh, alcohol. And I was just like, I just want a Coke. Can I just get in here and get my Coke and get out, right? And so I'm sitting at the counter, and I'm paying, and I'm, I'm trying to get out. And I feel uh, the person in front of me, I feel like God says to me, Mention me in some way. You don't have to tell him, hey, Jesus died for your sins. Just mention me in some way. Talk about something Jesus has done in your life today. I give the man a dollar. He gives me back my 31 cent. Walk out the door. God said, you don't really believe what you say you believe because you won't even open your mouth, right? I struggle with this, guys. I struggle with this. But listen, the lack of action we have exposes who we are. And I don't want you guys to think, listen, I don't want you guys to think, oh, this means we got to start going door to door every day. we got to get home, go door to door, knock on the doors, and do you know about Jesus? Do you know about Jesus? Do you know about Jesus? That's not what I'm trying to say here. This isn't even about you getting on a plane and going across across the world on a mission trip. This is about living out your faith every day in a way that glorifies God. That's what I'm asking you. Is the as how you live your life around co-workers, is the words you use at work, in school, and at the ballpark, does that reveal you love Jesus? That's what it means to not be a hypocrite. Church, as we go with sincerity, we desperately need to start practicing what we preach. There is no other option. How about the next thing though? I'm gonna move on from that because y'all are like y'all were staring at me and y'all are like, I'm the evil one, it's in the Bible. I'm just telling you what's in here, okay? Don't shoot the messenger. If you do, let me finish first. So uh, let's look at Matthew 23, 5 and 6, the second point. When we go with sincerity, church, we got to live for God's approval, right? We live for God's approval, not man's approval. Let's look at verse 5 and 6. It says, They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long, and they love the place of honor at feast. All right? So let's, let's, uh, let's think about that. What Jesus is getting at, as he's exposing the lack of sincerity because, in the Pharisees, because they did all that they did in order not to please God, but for other people around them to see them. Jesus literally says here that the people lack sincerity because they do all of their deeds to be seen by others, right? So ask yourself this. Do you live out your faith? Do you talk about Jesus? Do you raise your family in a way that honors God because you desire applause, because you desire the recognition of men or because you desire to please God? The truth is, we, we don't really make this connection a lot, but we have a lot of in common here with the Pharisees. We, just like they did, like to be patted on the back. We like to be told, attaboy. We like to be told, good job. We like to be told, you go, girl. We like that. We like for the world to look at us when we're living our faith. I I know I'm talking to you here because I'm talking to myself. We like for the world to look at us when we're living out our faith and say, you love Jesus so much. You're such a good Christian. However, one thing I want you guys to understand this morning as I was walking through this text, and I I know this personally, nothing is more damning to your own soul, right? So the thing that that will send your soul to hell quicker than anything else is the applause of men. Because what happens is this. We start hearing our own hype. We start hearing, hey, Dallas, you're a good husband. Dallas, I bet you're going to be a good father. Dallas, I bet you're such a good preacher. Dallas, you can, you can preach. Dallas, I, I, can you come do this? Can you come speak to this group and speak to this group? I think you can reach this group, Dallas. I think you can do this. We start to hear these murmurs. We start to hear these talks. And we, guess what really starts to happen is we start to believe our own hype. We're like, you know, I really am as good as they say I am. I really am what people say about me. And we start to believe our own hype. And you know the sad thing about it? Is we forget that we're wicked sinners in need of a Savior to die on a cross for us. Insincere Christians live for the recognition that the world gives them when they see them behave as good Christians should. But sincere Christians live for God's approval and seek to please Him no matter what anybody else may say. It goes a little bit like this. Insincere Christians put money in the offering plate on Sunday hoping to be seen. Sincere Christians give hoping nobody else sees. Insincere Christians fast and tell everybody about how hard it was. Man, I just did a five-day fast and it was horrible, right? I'm godly because I did that. Sincere Christians fast and take steps to prevent anyone from seeing the struggle. Insincere Christians pray for everyone else in their sins. God, be with this person. I see, God, I see this person and they're, they're sinful and they're, they're, I saw this man and he did this and I saw this woman and she did this. They go take their, everybody else's sin before God. Sincere Christians pray before God confessing their own sin. They get on their knees and say, God, I'm a sinner. God, I did this. God, I need help. Listen, your motivation's And my motivations for either God's approval or man's applause reveal our true desire. And our desire for either man's approval or God's approval reveals whether we're sincere or not. If you live hoping everybody else sees how good a Christian you are, if you live hoping everybody else thinks, well, man, he's He's a good man, she's a good woman, then you're not a sincere Christian, you're doing Christianity for you. When we go with sincerity, we go with one purpose, church. When we leave this place and we're sincere about our faith, we go with one purpose, and that's to please Jesus Christ. When we go with sincerity, we live for God's approval and not for the applause of men. And let me assure you, the approval of God is far more valuable than any applause that a man can give you. On the day I die, it does not matter one bit what anybody in this room thinks about me. On the day I die, you know what matters who thinks about me? What Jesus Christ is going to look at me and think of me. As Christians, think about it like this. Why would we care what anyone in this world thinks of us when the God of the universe looks at us and calls us his children? When my daddy's a king, I don't worry what the peasants say. We live for the king's approval. Personally, let's just get real here. Pray for me and Jeremy here. Jeremy will tell you the same thing I'm about to tell you. Because the truth is, every preacher at some point, and for most it's an every Sunday battle, is faced with the temptation to preach for man's approval and not God's approval. And I'm asking you, for the sake of my soul, for the sake of Jeremy's soul, don't come up to me after this message and say, boy, you really gave it to him today. That was a good message. Don't come up to Jeremy and say, you're such a good preacher. Go, if, if God speaks to you, go up to me or go up to Jeremy and say, man, God is really working through you the Holy Spirit is really moving through you. Because I don't need to know you approve of me. All I need to know is that God approves of me. So church, listen, as we go with sincerity, we need to live for God's approval. All right, I got to speed up, speed up the pace a little bit. Everybody ready? So number three, don't exalt ourselves over others. When we go with sincerity, we don't exalt ourselves over others. Matthew 23, 6 and 7, they, they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. All right. So next, Jesus attacks the insincerity of the scribes and Pharisees by calling out, on, calling them out on their habit to live for, uh, to exalt themselves over others. So if we're going in sincerity, we have to be a people who don't exalt ourselves over, over other people. And ask yourself this question: Hold on to it. Do I enjoy being thought of more highly than other people? So I'm going to bring it back in just a second, but. Do you enjoy having a higher title than this person? Do you enjoy being labeled a better Christian than this person? Do you like it when somebody says, you're a better man than he is? Think about it like this. Some of you, some of you like, you get to this one, you're like, he's off of me. He's on to somebody else. I don't exalt myself over nobody, right? I love everybody, right? Right? So some of you are breathing that sigh of relief, but let's just hold on for just a second. Ask yourself this: Do you ever compare yourself to other people spiritually? Do you ever look to somebody else who's worse off than you and say, "I at least I ain't like him?" At least I ain't like her. Did you hear about what she was struggling with? Did you hear about what he was struggling with? Do you ever compare yourself to other people spiritually? Because the way spiritual pride works is you may not have a high position or you may not have a title, but you look to other people around you and say, I'm better off than she is. That's how pride works in you. It's not you have to be the best. You just have to be better than that that person, right? By nature, pride is a competition, Spiritual pride makes everything better. When I'm spiritually prideful, I look to Jeremy and say, i got to be a better preacher. When, I look to, uh, when I'm spiritually prideful, I look to people who are good men and say, i got to be a better man than that person. I don't have to be the best. i just got to be better than he is or she is. Does that ever describe you? And if you say it doesn't, you're a liar. You need to come down to the altar when this is all over, right? It describes every one of us. So C.S. Lewis says it this way. Anybody know C.S. Lewis, Screwtape Letters, Chronicles of Narnia, that guy? He says, if you say that you are not conceited, it means that you are very conceited indeed. So anytime anybody says you are prideful, you are conceited. So if you only knew the half of it, right? So personally, I want to tell you about how God, this works in my life, how God's worked this in my life. Yesterday, I was having a conversation with preachers. So whenever preachers get around, like the conversation is usually about other preachers or other churches, right? And so uh, I was around, I was with Billy, the guy who's our campus pastor in Vidalia, and we were talking about a, uh, a church uh, in upstate North Carolina, and we got talking about this guy, and what, and before I knew it, what I was doing was saying, at least I'm not like this guy who I don't agree with when he preaches a lot. I don't really like him, but that's neither here or there, right? So what I caught myself doing, though, is saying, at least I'm not like him. I might might not be the best preacher, but I'm better than he is. I might not have everything just right, but I'm more right than this guy is. What happens is, as we look to other people and we say, I don't have to be the best. I just can't be the worst. And that describes every one of us. The truth is, we all do this. We all exalt ourselves over others as if there was a standard somewhere off in the distance, and I just got to be closer to that standard than the next person. The finish line's over there. I don't have to be first, but I got to be closer than that person, and I probably am closer than you and you and you, right? That's how it works. But the truth is, there is one standard. God has one standard when he looks down on hell, up from earth and that's the standard of the righteousness of Jesus Christ who is perfect and has never sinned. And let me assure you, when God looks down and uses that standard, none of us measure up. Amen. Romans 3.23, anybody know what it says? For all have sinned in what? fall short. We're nowhere near the standard. And you can look to the person beside you and say, I'm closer than this person. I'm closer than that person. But it doesn't matter. It does you no good to be spiritually prideful and closer. I've been using this illustration. And it's a fleshly illustration. But I think it has a good good point. We like to think as long as I'm better than the last person, I'm all right. But let me ask you something. If I had a gallon of sweet tea in here, and I passed it around, all right? And you all took a sip of that sweet tea and was like, man, this is awesome sweet tea. And I told you, that sweet tea had one drop of human urine in it. Is that sweet tea any good? That's the question. Is that sweet tea any good? For all we know, Chase got the one drop. Like, the rest <laughs> of y'all might be good. But is that sweet tea any good? No right? It's dirty. You can put one drop in a gallon and the whole thing is infected. And that's how we are. You can be just as good as you want to be, just as close to that standard as you think, I just got to be there than that person. You can try just as hard as you want to try, but I promise you, you will never, ever, ever measure up. We are all sinful. And if it were not for Christ crucified on a cross, none of us would measure up. We would all be eternally separated doesn't matter how good you think you are. Listen, I want to hit this home. May Connection Millen never be a place where strangers come in, where drug addicts come in, where prostitutes come in, where people of different races come in, and we look at them and say, I I may not be the best, but I'm better than that person. If that's your attitude and you want to keep it and you don't want to change, this ain't the church for you. Now, if that's your attitude and you want to change... Let's, let's flood the altar when it's time for the altar call today, right? May Connection Miller never be that place. Church, as we, as we go with sincerity, we must not exalt ourselves over other people. Last point, number four, live as humble servants. Matthew 23, 11 and 12, it says this, The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. So lastly, Jesus tells us, he calls these Pharisees out, because they didn't live, leave, live as humble servants. Ask yourself this question, church. Do I live to serve other people? Ask yourself that question. Do I live, insert your name in the blank, does Dallas Wilson live to serve other people or be served by other people? What gives you greater joy? Does it give you greater joy when somebody looks at you and says, let me serve you? Or does it give you greater joy when you can serve other people? Let me ask you something. Do you want to be great in this world? Do you want to make an eternal difference? Do you want to have an impact that far outlives your life? Then this is what you need to do. You need to serve other people. Jesus is the perfect example of this. When Jesus came, he came off his throne to live among peasants, and he came, and he didn't come with a rod. He came as a shepherd, and he came to serve his people. You know what he did? He got down, and he washed feet. He touched sick people. He went to those who couldn't help themselves, and he helped them. He served them. And you know what? 2,000 years later, people are still talking about Jesus. If you want to have an impact on this world, you need to serve. This is, this is, the, this is oxymoronic, right? If, if there's anything that we know from the Bible, it's that, that the way you live your life, the way you think you should live, is the complete opposite of the way you should actually live, right? I need to take care of me. No, you really need to take care of others. I need to promote myself. No, you really need to promote Jesus. I need to make sure that I've got what I need and what my family needs. Look out for other people. God will look out for you. This is what Jesus teaches us. If you want to live, then die to yourself. If you want to be great, serve others. If you want to be exalted, be humble. This is the way it works. Insincere Christians live their lives looking to be served by other people because of how good a Christian they are. Sincere Christians look for ways to serve other people. Insincere Christians look for ways to be, to be noticed in their servants. Sincere Christians serve others even when there's no chance of ever being noticed. I saw a good illustration of this one day at our campus in Statesboro. Does anybody know Bo Fordham? Bo's been here a couple times. Bo's an awesome guy. I love Bo. Listen, Bo wants to preach, and Bo can preach. I've heard him. When Bo gets fired up, he can, he can go, Right? And, but before, they, before Bo ever got on the stage in Statesboro, you know what I saw him doing one day? He walked out of a bathroom with a toothbrush in his hand. He wasn't in there brushing his teeth. The toothbrush was pretty dirty, right? He'd been in there cleaning toilets. He'd been in there cleaning floors, right? If you want to be great, start by serving. Get this, church. As we go practicing what we preach being content with, what God, with God's approval, humbling ourselves and serving other people. It's not enough to go and just do those things, right? Because the reality is you can never do it. You can't leave here today and muster up enough strength to say, I'm going to go and I'm going to practice what I preach. I ain't going to compare myself to others. I'm not going uh, to live to be exalted by others. I'm going to be humble and I'm going to serve. You can go, but guess what? If you don't go with the right heart, it'll never make a difference. The Pharisees went. Look in verse in verse 13. It says, you travel across heaven and ocean, Right? You go across the sea to make a disciple, but it didn't matter. The Pharisees went, but they didn't go with the right heart, and they were condemned by Jesus. When Jesus looks at them and he sees their insincerity, he condemns them. I'm talking about Jesus, Mr. Graceful, right? He looks at them and says, you're going to hell. You're not going to make it. You're a hypocrite. You're going to hell. So what's the point then? I mean, if I, can live, if I can leave here and I'm not going to be good enough, what's the point? Listen, church, this is the point. This is what gets me fired up. This is what gets me out of bed in the morning. The point is Christ is not after good people. He is after new people. Christ is not after a good heart. Christ is after a new heart. You cannot be good enough. Your heart is not good enough. That's bad news. The good news is Christ doesn't want your old heart. He came to give you a new one. Listen, church, here's the thing. Here's what I want you to get from this text this morning if you don't get anything else. The scribes and the Pharisees are bad, bad, bad news for you and me. They are bad news because they they show us that we can do everything right. You can never commit adultery. You can never cuss. You can never sin. And guess what? You can obey all the rules, avoid all the sins, but you still won't get into heaven. When you die, you can be perfect by our standards, and you still won't get into heaven. The scribes and the Pharisees are bad because they show us that we can be as good as we want to be, but none of us can change our own hearts. We are still dead and separated from God in our sins, no matter how good we think we are. Then look at verse twenty, verse 27. This is what Jesus is getting at. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. What he saw, He's talking about whitewashed tombs there. What he's saying is that in these days, what they would do was they wanted a memorial to the dead. So in Roman culture in Palestine, what they did was they put the dead people's bones in there. And when they came out, they would bleach the rocks. You ever bleached a rock? Makes it white and it's beautiful. And on the outside, it looks amazing. You're like, man, this is a gorgeous monument. But on the inside, guess what's in there? Dead people's bones, filth, uncleanliness, deadness, And what Jesus is saying is that you look pretty on the inside, but hey, uh, you look pretty on the outside, but on the inside, you're dead. And that's the message that we have to hear this morning. You can look pretty on the outside. You can come to Connection Mellon. You can be a a servant. You can come every Sunday morning with, with your kids and your wife, and you can smile a good smile, but unless you have a new inside, it doesn't matter. The scribes and the Pharisees are bad news. Listen. Because they tell us that if God were to build a bridge 99% of the way, and he looked at me and said, Dallas, I've come 99% of the way, you only have to come 1% of the way. They're bad news because they tell us that none of us can come the 1% of the way. Because even on our best days, even on our best days and we're helping other people and we're loving other people and we're trying to do good, we're still insincere. The bad news of the scribes and the Pharisees is that we can never be good enough. That's it. But guess what? Jesus is the good news this morning. Because if the bad news is that we can never make it on our own, the good news of the cross of Jesus Christ is that we do not have to make it on our own. The good news of the gospel, guys, is listen. God didn't come 99% of the way and look at us and say you have to come one. God came 100% of the way, and once he got on the other side of the bridge, you know what he said? Lay down. If you'll just lay down, I'll take you back. But I'm not going to touch you screaming and fighting. Lay down. Surrender. If the bad news is that we have a bad heart this morning, the good news is that Jesus Christ came to give us a new heart. This is what God told Ezekiel in Ezekiel 11:19. I will give them one heart and a new spirit I will put within them. The inside of us, the spirit. I will put within them and I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statues and keep my rules and obey them and they shall be my people and I will be their God. You know what God's telling Ezekiel? You can't do it. I'm going to give you a heart that's going to allow you to. You can't be a good enough person. Your heart's not good enough. I'm going to give you a new heart. This is why 2 uh, Corinthians five seventeen says we are a new creation because from the inside out we've been made new. The gospel of Jesus Christ is that no matter how hard you try, you'll never be good enough, but you don't have to be good enough. It's God who saves you. And listen, this is this is what this is what's so awesome. When you realize that, it gives you a heart of gratitude. When you realize, God, I'll never be good enough, I'll never make it on my own, but you love me enough and you made me good enough, what happens? God, thank you. I'll do whatever you want, God. However you want me to live, God, that's how I'll live. You just showed me what to do. You came 100% of the way. I'll do whatever you tell me to, God. I'll lay down. I'll follow you. I'll do whatever you tell me to do. And you know what gratitude creates in believers? It creates sincerity. When we realize that we've been saved not by our own works, But by the work that Jesus Christ did, it gives us a heart of gratitude. And then gratitude creates sincerity. If you want to be a real follower of Christ, if you don't want to be a fake, listen, this morning, it doesn't have anything to do with your actions. It has everything to do whether or not Christ has given you a a new heart. You want to see a sincere person? You want to see a person who who lives their life as a sincere Christian and not as a fake? I'll show you a person who knows what Christ has done for them and how he saved them. The key to going with sincerity is to go knowing that Jesus Christ has become my sin so that I could become his righteousness. Listen, this is where where it all ties back into that first question. It is impossible to consistently live as a hypocrite when we know what Christ has done. It is impossible to live for man's recognition and not be content in God's approval when we look at the cross and see what Jesus has done. It is impossible to consistently compare ourselves to other people when we look at the cross and say we'll never measure up anyway. It is impossible to not want to serve other people when we look at the cross and see how Christ has served us. Gratitude for what Christ has done creates sincerity in believers. So listen, this morning, as I just draw this thing to a close, I want to do two things. The first thing is this. When I was doing this message today, three groups of people came to my heart. Number one is that person who says, I know I'm saved. I, I you, Your life has never changed, but you come to church every Sunday, I know I'm saved, right? that was the first person that came to my heart because listen when you understand what the gospel means it means that Christ has become my sin so that I become his righteousness he takes my sin I get his righteousness he puts the new heart in me so guess what before I couldn't live how he wanted me to live now I can the gospel doesn't mean you can live however you want to live. It means that you're going to live how Christ wants you to live. My second group of people was the people who are going to come here and hear this message today. And in your mind, you're thinking, I'll never be good enough. I might as well call it quits now. All of those commandments, I've broken them all. Welcome to the club. Right? My heart goes out to you. Because this morning, what I want you to understand is that for God's sake, you don't have to be good enough. That's why we have Jesus. Then the third person was this. The person who's been coming to church all their life and they think, I'm good enough. Because if that's you this morning, you're in the same boat as the Pharisees. And no matter what group of people you fall in this morning, some of you have lived your whole life trying to measure up this morning. And this morning you're realizing I'll never be good enough. So what I want to do is I just want to give you an opportunity to respond. If you want what I'm talking about, if you want this idea of a new heart and a new life, and you want what God has to offer you, the way we do it at Connection is simply this. We raise our hand. We don't bow our heads. We don't close our eyes because God says, if you deny me before me and I'll deny you before the Father. So if you really want Christ as all, what Christ is offering you this morning, You'll do it in front of men. But listen, if this morning you're here and you say, I know I don't measure up, but I need Christ to measure up for me, I just want you to raise your hand. And what's going to happen is somebody's going to come pray with you, and we want to love on you, and we want to lead you in your next step of faith. So if that's you this morning, will you just raise your hand? Got one over here? Now as the band comes up and there's nobody else who says, I know I'm not good enough. If there's nobody else who says, I know I'm not good enough and wants to raise their hand this morning, there's still time. Just pop your hand up there. I promise I'll, I'll stop. If there's nobody else this morning who says, that's what I need this morning. For those of us who are saved, listen, I was the one up here preaching and God hammered me this week. So I know that if God's hammering the guy who's up here trying to tell you what this Bible says, I know he's hammering the rest of us, right? Listen, if you want to go with sincerity, I encourage you to come down here to this altar and pray. Just just come down here and say, God, I lay everything I am down. If If we want to be serious about going in our community and making disciples, guys, we have to be going with sincerity. Fake people do us no good. This morning I pray that as a, as, as a church we would flood this altar and be serious about that. So let's go to the Lord in the word of prayer and uh, the band will play and the altar will be over. God, I love you. God, I am nothing but a, a vessel, God. whatever. Whatever I've done today, I pray that you get glory for it, God, because it's you who gives me the breath to do it. It's you who enables me to speak your word. God, I thank you for the power of your word, Jesus Christ, that as we understand the gift of the cross, that we don't have to be good enough. As we understand the gift of the cross, God, our hearts are changed. Our lives are changed. We want to follow you with all that we are. and God, I just pray that right now, your church would do business with you for the glory of your name and the advancement of your kingdom. Christ, now I pray.